This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today, we're incredibly fortunate. We have Martha Carlin on the show. She's the CEO of the Bio Collective and the Bio Collective Research. Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, tell me a little bit about your company and who you serve. So the Bio Collective is a company that's focused on gut health and the human microbiome. And for people who don't know what the human microbiome is, that's the trillions of bacteria, fungi, viruses, and archaea that live in and on our body. And we're actually more microbial than we are human. I think the ratio now that they've agreed on is about two to one cell count of uh, microbes versus human uh, cells. And the BioCollective connects our membership uh, and a sample that we collect with the research world um, to try to accelerate discovery in the microbiome space and solutions to gut health overall. Um, So we have both a business-to-consumer side of the business and a business-to-business side. You know, in, in, in thinking about that, and I did a bit of homework before we did the show, and and for the folks that are listening, you're going to go, huh, uh, tell me more so I understand. But before we go into the why of understand uh, about uh, the biocollective, how did you get started? Are you a biologist by training? I am not a biologist by training. I'm actually an accountant by training, but accounting is uh, one of the original systems, and I'm a systems thinker. Um, And in 2002, my young 44-year-old husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And I looked at how science and medicine was approaching that problem, and I said, that's never going to solve the problem or understand why um, this is a complex problem and you have to take a systems approach. And so I started teaching myself science on the side. And over 13 years, um, I started with the food supply, how we grow our food, um, nutrition, and then I moved into the human systems and got you know back into chemistry and biology and molecular biology and genetics and epigenetics. And in 2014, I read a book by Dr. Martin Blazer of NYU called Missing Microbes. And that was a, you know, a big light bulb for me. Um, He was talking about the age of antibiotics and how we have seen this rise in chronic diseases since uh, we've antibiotics have been ubiquitous in the environment, uh, either from human prescribing or uh, through use in animal feed and uh, animal husbandry. About two or three months after that, I met a young man who was looking for an investor in a company called Pure Cultures, and his background was fermentation chemistry. And I thought, geez, I think I'll I'll invest in that and I can learn a little bit about fermentation chemistry. And he had spent 20 years in the human nutraceuticals business, um, which most people won't know. Most of the vitamins you buy off the shelf are actually fermented by uh, bacteria and fungi in big vats in industrial operations. And that was his expertise, but he was focused on the animal side of things now. And then about... Two months after that, the first paper was published that correlated specific gut bacteria to the symptoms of Parkinson's. And I said, Eureka, 
this is it. This connects to all this science I've been studying all these years. And so I quit my job <laughs> and uh, started funding a research project at the University of Chicago with Dr. Jack Gilbert, who's now my co-founder, um, and, you know, bouncing ideas back and forth with him. And um, he has a son with autism, and we started talking about how there were connections in the patterns in the gut with autistic children and people with Parkinson's. And then I met my third co-founder, Dr. Suzanne Vernon, who uh, is a background in infectious disease and 17 years at the CDC um, and working on complex disease like chronic fatigue. And we saw patterns there as well. And we said, what's holding back the research and discovery and our ability to solve these complex diseases? And, you know, Jack said, well, you know, it's really access to samples from the broad population, and this is a really difficult sample to get, and that's because it's a stool sample, and people don't want to um, really have to think about that or, or deal with it. Uh, but it, if you go back to Hippocrates, who said all disease begins in the gut, um, I think that's right, and so that's really the inspiration behind uh, founding the company was – you know, building this in order to help find a cure for Parkinson's for my husband, but also to connect the dots across complex disease. You know, I, I think about that moment and, you know, there's a couple, obviously, one, you get the diagnosis and then you're down the trail of trying to figure out an aha moment. What was the reaction from your husband when you came home and says, I think I've had my ha-ha moment and I'm going to quit work and chase this full time. You know, he's always been very supportive of, of me and, and also, I think, believes that I am capable of finding a cure. And so um, when he saw that I was going to take all the energy that I had uh, devoted to my previous careers that I was very successful in— um, I think he was pretty excited because he thought, well, all this energy is now going to go into figuring out how to how to save me. Describe a little bit about Parkinson's, at least as you understand Parkinson's. Sure. It's a very complex disease. Um, it's um, a gradual decline uh, of all the systems of the body, really, but, you know, at the core the neurons and the the uh, dopamine system in the the body that produces the signals that work the muscles in the body, all of those little pieces stop working. So over time, um, often people will start with you know a tremor or thing something like that. There's a loss of sense of smell, loss of taste, um, difficulty with vision sometimes, focusing. Um, then over time, the autonomic nervous system will slowly shut down. They'll have trouble walking, talking. About 30% have uh, difficulty with cognition and memory. Um, so it's pretty complicated, and they often will call it a designer disease because, you know, one person could have these three symptoms and another person could have these five symptoms, and, you know, they might only have two that overlap. Yeah, and one of the most visible, uh, I think, people that many listeners may know is Michael J. Fox. Correct. 
Yeah, he's um, kind of the poster child um, yeah. that, you know, everybody knows a lot more about it because of Michael J. Fox, I think, um, and Muhammad Ali. So head injury can also be a risk factor for Parkinson's disease. You know, so when you first started going down this path of discovery and you started getting connections to gut health, what changed in your household as far as diet or effect? Well, you know, it's interesting. Back in 2002, when my husband was first diagnosed, I think I instinctively knew um, that food was part of the problem. I, I didn't have the knowledge about the gut that I have now. But even back then, I cleaned out the pantry and everything that was processed went away. And I tried to go all organic. But in 2002, it was really pretty difficult to go all organic. Um, you know, there's much more choice and availability uh, today than there was back then. Um, I'm a cook, fortunately, so, you know, that helped. But um, then I started looking and saying, okay, well, if I can't go all organic, then I need to understand the food supply that we have and try to make better choices around that. So, you know, we eat a lot more uh, fresh vegetables and things that we've cooked ourselves. We don't eat processed food, uh, you know, unless it's when you're traveling sometimes that's all there is available. Um, we eat a lot less meat because there's a lot of antibiotics in the meat supply. So we still do eat meat, but um, we're very careful about making sure that that is um, – meat from a source that doesn't use antibiotics in the animals. Um, and, you know, it's just a, a healthy, clean diet of fruits and vegetables and mostly vegetables and, and whole grains. Uh, we don't eat bread much anymore because the preservatives in, in most of the bread on the shelf, there's something called calcium propanate um, that is actually harmful to the gut um, and can cause a number of... Uh, like brain-on-fire kind of issues because you'll be making too much of a certain short-chain fatty acid. So I think that may actually be more of the problem people have with bread today than, you know, gluten. But, oh. Huh. You know, it, it's I, I, I'm fascinated, and, and the more I read and the more we talked, the more I got fascinated. So I started digging around and looking more. And, you know, for some of the things that you, you've observed, you know, there's the, the move toward probiotics uh, or eating yogurt or, you know, many of those approaches that people go, and I recognize I want to try to do something. Right. What are your observations about the probiotic space and the yogurt craze, for lack of a better term? Generally, you know, uh, I like yogurt, but uh, what we've done in industrializing our food supply is – uh, limited the number of strains of bacteria that are used in those cultures in order to, to do large-scale industrial production. So, you know, if you look back 100 years ago, people were making their own yogurt and they were using wild fermentation. So there was a lot more variety in the strains of bacteria in the yogurt. So what you find today on the shelf is most uh, most yogurts will have, you know, just a handful of tightly controlled strains that are used for industrial production. Um, so I don't eat a lot of the uh, industrial yogurts. I actually make my own yogurt. Um, and then on the probiotic strain, you know, you have the similar thing. So if you walk into a, 
you know, a store and they've got all these probiotics on the shelves and people will tell me, well, my eyes just glaze over. And, you know, what I tell them is, um, you know, most of the probiotics on the shelf today uh, are about the same. Uh, they Two-thirds of them come from just two manufacturers, global manufacturers. One is Christian Hansen out of Europe and the other is DuPont. Um, and, you know, then there are some more boutique uh, groups that provide some different strains. But the bulk of the things on the shelf are the same, um, which is part of our mission um, at the Bio Collective is bringing back diversity and developing new strains for the probiotics market. And um, we actually have one. Uh, that, we were talking yeah. about that. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that's coming up. And be- before I go too far down that road, if folks are interested in learning more, how do they find you and your company? So they can find us um, on the web at www.thebiocollective.com. Um, they can also find us on Twitter at TBC Microbes. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Martha Carlin, um, and the Bio Collective is also on LinkedIn. Um, and soon we'll be on Instagram. Ooh. And so, <laughs> so back to this, this um, we're going to take and, and go back. There's some things that you can do to, to help the listeners. And one of them is something you're excited about and you're in the patent process, I think. Yes. So we have a, a new, what we call a functional probiotic, where we're putting back a system. Um, it's different from the probiotics you see on the shelf today, which will you know, maybe be a bifidobacteria and a lactobacillus, which if you've looked at probiotics, those are the common um, genus that you'll see. Um, we have actually added um, some other strains of bacteria that are from the food industry, so they're generally regarded as safe, but you don't typically see them in a probiotic formula. Um, And this particular formula uh, has shown to um, improve regularity, so it's really a a nice probiotic if you have, uh, you know, a problem with constipation. And it's also effective in... Um, helping with glucose metabolism. So it takes uh, both fructose and glucose, which we get way too much of in the Western diet, down a different pathway to to make a different kind of sugar. Um, And so uh, we think that it's going to be quite popular because it's very different. And the feedback from the people who've tried it has been great. And we were talking before the show that, um, you know, in, in, trying to so i'm shifting gears so if somebody wants to find out when it hits the market and they want they're interested they can find you or find that where so if you're interested in we can follow up with you um when it's on the market which we believe will be in november um if you just email us at info at the biocollective.com um we will send you um a coupon to buy it when, when it's available I've read a few things about probiotics, you know, coming in one way, coming in refrigerated and, and so on. Do you have a, what are the general misconceptions do you think out there about probiotics and what they do and what they don't do? Oh gosh. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, misconceptions or just lack of, of understanding. Um, you know, and you, the research on, a couple of strains um, is pretty extensive showing how uh, effective they are in triggering the immune system. So they help um, with your 
immune system. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a group in Japan uh, uh, that makes the liquid probiotic Yakult. Um, they've got a lot of research behind the strains in Yakult and what that does. I actually know somebody who was having some serious digestive problems and took it and within six hours of taking it, it was like gone. Um, but, I, you know, I think uh, there's also this misconception that, you know, just because it's traveling for, through the system and it doesn't maybe stick to the wall of your gut that it's not doing anything. And, um, you know, if you know anything about fermentation science, there's this kind of virtuous cycle in the world of microbes where, you know, one dies and feeds the next one. And so that's really uh, what we're starting to learn um, in the microbial world with probiotics is, you know, even the the dead cell wall of the probiotic after after it dies going through your gut, it is sending signals to your immune system. Stepping back, we were chatting before, and, and for folks that there's a great deal of interest in this field. And you were talking about you've got some projects potentially with some research groups. Can you talk about them or can you talk about them? Sure. So what we actually, we developed this kit. Um, so you know, one of the ways to understand what's going on in your gut is to take a look at your stool sample. Um, and it's a difficult sample to collect because, you know, people don't want to deal with it. So actually for the first six months after we founded the company, we spent our time working on and designing a kit that would make it um, easy, um, ick-free, and even kind of a little bit humorous um, uh, so that you can... Um, collect your sample at home. So we have this, um, it's a little hammock that sits on your toilet and it gets the entire sample. Um, and you don't have to, and you just like pick up the arms and drop it in the two bags. And we have a ice brick. You FedEx it to us on ice. And then we take that sample and divide it up into subsamples. And one of those samples goes off to sequencing and we provide data back to you about what's in your gut and how you might be able to adjust your diet or do some things um, or, you know, where some risk points might be for you. It's not a diagnostic of anything. Um, you know, we're, we're careful to say that, but it is you know, a pretty extensive learning tool and something that you could take um, to a physician and talk to them about. Um, we take those sam your sample that's been divided up and we sell those subsamples to different researchers um, so that one sample uh, could have many different kinds of research done on it. So more data to be able to learn faster. Um, so that's one of those benefits. And then we share back with you the net profit off the sale of your sample. And then what we are also doing in those samples is isolating and culturing new strains of bacteria. And so from our larger membership group, um, if we discover a new strain of bacteria that might be interesting in a probiotic and we take that through the regulatory process of what's called generally regarded as safe um, and take that to market, we would also be sharing those uh, revenues with our membership and then our kit, because it is so easy to use and um, people are a lot more compliant with providing the sample, uh, we're actually working with academic institutions to use our kit for their larger research projects. So 
Uh, we're currently um, selling kits to the University of Chicago, the National University of Singapore, and uh, we're in discussions right now with Harvard to do some of the components of our kit. Um, so we're, you know, starting to kind of take the kit to the world as an easy way to be able to collect that sample. Well, you know, I, I think about, you know, for folks and they're going, well, huh. And, and you know, and the reason we bring up the educational, there's a great deal of interest, you know, and, and as everyone might imagine, collecting a stool sample is usually looks like a plastic jar and a tongue depressor. No, yeah, it's all. And I'm not sure whether you're, what you're supposed to do with either, but neither (laughs) paints a good picture, (laughs) you know, and so the, the reluctance to take and furnish. And when you were talking about membership, how does one become a member? So to become a member, you just come to thebiocollective.com and join. Um, There's a, two-step process where um, you complete the first step and there's a consent to be involved in research. So you complete the consent and once that's done, you'll get an email confirmation. Once you confirm your membership, then you can go into your dashboard. You can order a kit um, and they're available for purchase. They're a fairly high-end kit. Um, So the midpoint kit is uh, $549. the high end kit is eight ninety nine, um, and then we have a low end kit that's one eighty nine. Um, you don't get as much information with that lower end kit, um, and then um, or what you can do, you can become a member and you don't have to order a kit. You answer the survey questions, so we send out life and health histories uh, survey questions, and if in your survey data, you qualify for one of the studies where we have a researcher who's interested in, you know, some of the characteristics that you have, then we will provide you with uh, a free kit. Um, so if you're, you know, if you're willing to wait for some period of time until there's a researcher interested in somebody like you, then you can get a kit for free. Yeah, we were talking too, and you were generous to offer for the mid-level kit that if you have a code, and I think it's BLP... 250? BLP 250. That qualifies the first 200? First 200 people can get $250 off that midpoint kit. And so, you know, I, I think about the whole process. And so you guys are collecting this data, and there hasn't been a, a, a robust amount of data collected, has there? You know, it's so there was a project um, in the United States called the Human Microbiome Project that went from, I think, 2008 to 2012, if I have the dates right, and a similar project in Europe mm-hmm. um, where they did a, a larger scale population study. Um, there's been a large population study in uh, Belgium and Another one, I think, in China. So we're starting to get larger uh, data sets, but this is really about 12 years ago, I'd say, 12 to 15 years ago, there wasn't even a term, the microbiome. So it's the fastest accelerating area of research around the globe, not just the human microbiome, but also the earth microbiome, the built environment microbiome. So, you know, we are surrounded by this microbial world and we're just beginning to kind of understand that. So on an order of magnitude, yes, there hasn't been very much data collected. And, <laughs> and you know, and I think about the challenge and I think you hit it right on the head is the ick factor. Yes. 
you know, and, and it's like many other things. If you can't get the data, that's the data point. Right. You know, and so with this kit that you put together and developed, that really takes and addresses that part of the challenge. So for the future of your company, what's got you fired up about what you guys are doing? So I'm, I'm very fired up about the progress we're making in, in Parkinson's. Um, we have found um, some pretty interesting connections, we think, to um, life health history, um, some infection history and use of antibiotics. Um, we were able to confirm through a large data set that actually there is a higher risk of Parkinson's uh, in people who've had four or more strep infections and taken a repeated course of antibiotics. Um, we've also built uh, an artificial intelligence uh, learning model that uh, right now has about a 92% uh, accuracy rate in predicting uh, the Parkinson's in the sample. And what we're hoping to do with that is to um, start to collect samples from people with Parkinson's who have not started taking medications yet so that then we could see if there's a difference between people on medication or not medication and then have another predictor and then be able to do a, an early diagnostic and take that through, of course, that would have to go through the FDA, but have some kind of an early diagnostic where we could turn people back. So if we see that they have an indication in their gut ecosystem that they're at risk for Parkinson's, we could turn them back early uh, by regenerating the health of the gut. So that we're pretty excited about. Um, we're just excited overall in the the population samples that we're getting, we have about 50% healthy and 50% people with various diseases. Um, we're seeing some patterns, a lot of people with thyroid issues, um, you know, which I've said is maybe the canary in the coal mine. Um, and, um, you know, starting to see some connections across some diseases. And then I don't know if, uh, you know, if people follow Alzheimer's, but there's been uh quite a bit coming out recently about Alzheimer's potentially being a complex polymicrobial infection and that the, the plaques that they get in the brain with Alzheimer's could potentially be the immune system trying to sequester uh, the infection. So there's a researcher out of Harvard who's published some information about that. And then in January of this year, um, I think it was 25 or 30 top Alzheimer's researchers came out and said, you know, we believe that this is the case. And, you know, they're doing sampling and looking at um, complex infection as, as a possible um, avenue for Alzheimer's. So that's pretty exciting as well. Feels like the tip of the iceberg, you know, and folks listening, you know, we all by and large shower regularly, wash our hands regularly. And you go, what do you mean we're covered up with critters? And you know, the, our, our gut, we think, is we don't think about it a whole lot. Right. What's your, your broad opinion of what happens to our microbiome after a course of antibiotics? Well, there's lots of research on this, actually, in the, the book uh, Missing Microbes um, that I mentioned that sort of set me down this path um, talks about that quite a bit. And they've done a lot of mouse model studies showing um, 
you, you have a resilience in your microbiome to some extent where you can take a course of antibiotics and it will rebound, say, you know, 30 to 45 days later. Um, but, you know, as you have in any ecosystem, if you continue to perturb it with antibiotics, um, the resilience, it gets less resilient over time. And then, you know, depending on what antibiotic you're taking, uh, some of Dr. Blazer's research has shown that in some types of antibiotics, it does not recover. Um, they've also shown that um, there, there's a difference in these mouse model studies where post-antibiotics, um, the mouse that had the antibiotics will, on the same calorie load as the one that didn't have the antibiotics, will load 20% um, more fat on the same diet. Um, so, and if we just take a step back and think logically about that um, and see what we've done in our chicken, pork, and cattle, um, they use antibiotics as growth promoters. And basically what that means is we want them to get fat faster. So if we look at the chronic level of obesity we have and, you know, this epidemic level where, you know, people are trying to lose weight and they are not able to do it, you know, I personally believe that the pervasiveness of antibiotics in our food supply and the overuse of it in, you know, orally prescribed antibiotics that's, uh, you know, destroying the gut microbiome is, uh, you know, a big contributor to obesity, allergies, asthma, you know, all of these chronic diseases. And, you know, if you want to learn more about it, Dr. Blazer's book, Missing Microbes, is a great book. Um, there's a book called The Good Gut. Uh, by Justin and Erica Sonnenberg out of Stanford. That's also a really good book that can help help you learn a bit more about that. And they talk about antibiotics. Looking down the road, how do you see your company progressing over the next three to five years? What do you think is on the horizon? On the horizon, I see finding a cure to Parkinson's. Um, I, I hope uh, we'll go down that same path uh, with MS and um, Alzheimer's um, and some of these other complex diseases uh, where we've previously been taking this um, point solution approach to a complex problem. I think what we're going to find is in order to restore our health, we're going to have to do something that is equivalent to regenerative farming. Um, and, you know, you can't, if you buy a farm with depleted soil um, and the plants aren't getting nutritional uptake, not growing well, you know, you're not going to be able to go out tomorrow and plant some seeds in there and make it work. Um, you're going to have to do some, uh, you know, uh, re restoration of organic matter and that sort of things to, to rebuild the soil. And that's sort of how I talk about the gut and how I see, you know, in three to five years, I think we're going to see medicine moving to where people will you know, take a kit like what we've developed and they will look at their gut two or three times a year, you know, if especially if they've had foreign travel or some kind of illness that has, you know, been disruptive, they'll take a look and, and they'll want to, you know, proactively manage uh, their health through their gut. Um, so we really see this as the future of medicine. And, you know, I think within a decade, uh, physicians will have to treat the gut first before they start handing you all these other pills because all those pills also 
impact how the gut ecosystem is working. Well, you know, I, I think about farming, and if you farm and you don't do a soil sample right. first, then you're basically, you don't know. It's a crapshoot. <laughs> no pun in, well, maybe pun All kind of. You know, and, and, and you know, you, you, you know, the uptake is bad. You don't know what your pH level is. There are a lot of things, and you know, and it, it makes so much sense to people that farm, right? You know, and you think about so, and if if we had a cattle herd, we'd be really interested in nutrition uptake, what right. affects their absorption, the weight gain, the whole bit, and this is no different. Right. So we're we're actually applying a lot of the science that has been done for years in farming and agriculture, you know, animals um, to, you know, how we're thinking about looking at the gut. So we're, we're taking some of those other areas where we've had a lot of knowledge and just trying to say, okay, well, people are not that different. Shifting gears just a little. Let's say that there's somebody out there that goes, you know what, I, I'm, I have a loved one that, you know, has some particular illness and I'm I, I, I want to solve it. And so you've gone down this road of basically taking in your hands and said, I'm going to make a difference. What advice would you offer to that person that's considering trying to go down the path that you've gone down? Well, you know, what I, I tell people, it, you know, it takes um, <laughs> persistence, uh, a lot of time. Um, you, you really have to want to learn, but you can teach yourself anything. And it does take a little bit of money, but information, a lot of information today is free. Um, scientific information is a little bit more difficult to get to. It's surprising how much of the, the research that is paid for by our tax dollars is actually hiding behind a paywall. Um, but if you go to a, a good university library, you can get your hands on it. Um, so you know, that's uh, a bit of a challenge. But I, I say anybody can solve any problem if they put their mind to it. Then I say, like, if there's a disease that you're interested in and, you know, it's not something we're currently focused on, the other thing that I uh, you mentioned at the beginning, I also have biocollective research, and that's a 501c3 nonprofit. And it was set up specifically for anyone who has an interest in a specific disease um, where they would like to fund some research using, you know, the microbiome as the base of that research, then they can donate the money to the to BioCollective Research um, as a nonprofit, and we can find the key researchers who are working on that specific disease in the microbiome, and then work that sample through the pipeline and help somebody with that discovery. You know, it's it, I, I just I find it remarkable that you went from success in the corporate arena and basically had a gear shift, to say the least. Um, You know, going down the road, so you have the opportunities with major research organizations for your kit, all right? You're going to have a potential product coming out in November. Um, What other things that I failed to ask you about, about your company, should the listener know? that perhaps we didn't cover? Well, you know, one of the things that we are doing is building this big data platform. So, you know, we're also a data company. So we're not just going to keep all of the data to ourselves. We are, you know, building a platform where researchers will be able to um, access our data and 
also help to make those connections. So, um, you know, by participating in the BioCollective, becoming a member and answering those surveys, um, you're going to help accelerate those discoveries. The other thing that we're building, it's not available today, but we're, we're building for our members something called the Life Health Timeline. And, you know, for me, that was part of how I came to understand, you know, some of those pieces of the puzzle in Parkinson's was by interviewing people and understanding their life story. Because people intuitively know often um, what's connected to when they became sick. I mean, I've talked to uh, several people with Crohn's and they can tell me to the day, uh, you know, this is what happened and I have never been well since. I no. know these two things are connected. What's Crohn's, by the way? Uh, Crohn's is a, a an autoimmune type. I think it's autoimmune type disease of the uh, colon okay. where, you know, so there's inflammation and, you know, like some very serious digestive issues, um, inability to uptake nutrients. Okay. A lot of, uh, and they'll often have to have multiple surgeries to remove sections of their colon. And, and um, so as you, you know, collect this data over the life cycle mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and there are folks that are sitting out there go, yeah, that was me. Right. You know, what do they do with that? What would you recommend they do? So, well, one of the things that we want to do with this life health timeline is to have a, a quick, easy, visual way for someone to show a physician, um, you know, print it off and show them this is kind of my life story. Because today, you know, if, if you think back 50 years ago, um, our physicians or our parents' physicians, they knew our family history. They knew our life history. And the way we are mobile today, um, you know, we don't stay where we grew up. Um, we have, you know, a specialist doctor for this and a specialist doctor for that. And so we don't have anybody who really knows our whole life story. And you go into the doctor and they have you, like, fill out all the forms. And, you know, you go in and you have seven minutes to sit down with them. Well, you know they haven't had time to really read and understand your life story, but people think in pictures. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we believe if we can present that life story in a quick visual that highlights, you know, key stressors, um, infections, uh, medications, um, you know, dietary things, there'll be some, you know, key color-coded things that then somebody could visually go, oh, Okay, I see. And you could point out to your doctor, I think this is when my problem started. Um, And, you know, what we hear from a lot of people is they'll say that to a doctor and they kind of get brushed off or ignored. And I mean, not all doctors, but um, either they they think it's not related. um, But when you start to paint the picture for them, they can more readily see how those things could be connected. Circling back to the baseline, healthy gut. We're, you know, we're all, I mean, we get a vitamin K shot when we're born. I mean, you know, there's lots of things. Where does one find a baseline gut? Well, that's what we're trying to develop with these large population sets is to get 
more healthy people. I mean, it's it's a lot easier to get somebody who's not well to give you a sample than mm-hmm. it is a, a healthy person because they're like, I don't need to do that. Um, but the more healthy samples that we have, the easier it, it is for us to see what's the difference in that healthy sample and these, you know, people who are not well. Um, and then be able to to understand what maybe needs to be put back. Um, there's a, actually a company called Open Biome out of Boston. Uh, it's a nonprofit that does something called a, a, a fecal microbiota transplant. And uh, there's a hospital infection called C. difficile that's become pretty widespread. And what they found is the best treatment for that is a fecal transplant. So it's a stool transplant from a healthy person. And so they actually screen people um, from the population uh, looking for people who are healthy and they uh, then they pay them to provide samples and those samples are, are used as cures for people. And there are a couple of, uh, there's a company called Rebiotics that's actually working on fecal transplant through the FDA um, as a, a preparation, so. You know, it's, <laughs> the visual is, breathtaking to say the least on, on, but makes sense. Well, and if you go back, uh, I think, you know, four or 5,000 years ago into China, um, that was actually one of the remedies in China. Uh, they um, had something called yellow soup that was uh, from a healthy uh, infant's uh, stool that they gave to people who had uh, gastrointestinal problems. So we got, we go full circle back to some of the, um, Ancient wisdom, <laughs> Hippocrates and Chinese medicine. No. You know, and and I, I think about just you know in in the kitchen. You know, if you have sourdough, you have starter, right? And if you want new starter, yeah, you just take a little piece, and it, that's exact. That's a I'm going to use that. That's a really great example. Uh, you know, and nobody thinks about oh that starter is yeah. whatever. That starter is a microbial soup. Yeah. You know, in a beer, in a sourdough bread. You know, in the gut. You know, and for for the folks that are out there going, you know, well, I don't know. Uh, think about anybody that you know that's had um, a pretty stringent um, antibiotic course and yeast infections that occur. And it's one goes hand in hand with the other, and it just disturbs everything. Right. It's just you get this imbalance in the ecosystem. Um, that whole ecosystem kind of keeps each other in check. So, you know, when you have an ecosystem, it's, you know, back to the farming thing. If you have a healthy farm and healthy soil, you're going to have a lot fewer weeds, um, you know. But if you, uh, you know, overwork the soil and, you know, don't take good care of it, you end up with a lot of weeds. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, we're, we're coming to a close here. Um, any parting advice that you would offer either about the business or Whatever you want to talk about. Sure. Trust your gut. <laughs> no. um, you know, I do think that probiotics are, are going to be, more advanced probiotics are going to be one of the future tools of medicine, as I think fecal transplant will be used in more diseases than just the C. diff infection. Um, I think um, it's a wise thing when you're healthy to, you know, take a sample and look at what it looks like while you feel good. So that at some point down the line, if you start not feeling well, then you have something to compare it to. Because if, you, if you're if you not looking 
um, you know, before you're sick, you don't know what your healthy state was like. So I like to encourage people who are healthy to take a look too. Well, you know, I, I think about the price point and the traffic into many of the health stores and the price point in baseline is really inexpensive compared to a couple of nights out at a nice restaurant. Well, that's true. And the, the information that you're getting, um, you know, and our cost, just our sequencing cost alone is over $300 for a sample. So um, now the cost of genomic sequencing is dropping, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of like computers did over time. So we'll see, you know, in the next three to five years, we'll see the cost of what we're doing today drop. Um, you know, but it's it's pretty expensive and time-consuming um, to deal with the volumes of data and things that we're getting. But as those tools develop and accelerate, those costs are going to come down, and the speed with which you can get the information is going to come down as well. The other thing that I would say is if you are thinking about having any kind of elective surgery, um, you know, we have a increase in hospital infections, um, And one of the things that we do look at is the antibiotic resistance genes um, that are in your sample. And so I've been telling people if they were going to have elective surgery, I would do it so I could see what kind of antibiotic resistance I have. In the event I'm going to have surgery, then I have at least some information I could provide a physician if I do get an infection. Hey, I know that I have these antibiotic resistance genes. Great advice. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. and Thanks so much for having me. This Absolutely. Was fun.